Good morning. Good to see everybody that's present this morning and those who are visiting with us. Thank you for being here. And uh, I've been gone for a couple of Sundays and there were men who filled in while I was gone. Appreciate all that they did. And we had a, 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 a good vacation and it's good, good to be back. And Mark, you didn't want to read from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 20. <laughs> I told him, you just start reading, we'll be back. <laughs> so, no, Genesis 1-1 and uh, 22 and verse 5. And uh, hopefully I'll make sense of why I use those scriptures as we go through our lesson this morning. A journey to the Bible and then a journey into the Bible. What you should be able to pick up on as we read Genesis 1 and 1 and then Revelation 22 and verse 5, it ought to kind of jump out at you that the Bible is a story. And that's the way God chose to relate to us. Majority of the Bible, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along, it's a story. And that's what He has delivered to us so that He might relate to us. And so three points, a journey to the Bible, and then what is the Bible And then it is an epic story about Jesus because it is all about him from beginning to end. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a fellow by the name of Lewis Carroll? I think most of us probably have. And if you haven't and you don't remember the name, I'm pretty confident that you'll remember some of his books. Have you ever heard of Alice in Wonderland? (laughs) Lewis Carroll, written in the late 1800s, I should say. But he also did a sequel to Alice in Wonderland, and it was entitled Through the Looking Glass. And that's where Alice comes to the glass, sees the reflection, but then she steps into and through the mirror into a world on the other side, a world that she discovers is much different than what she had imagined. I want you to kind of use that thought as you think about the Scriptures. And you come to the Bible, and maybe you have some kind of preconceived ideas and thoughts about what's contained in there. But then you step into it, and you see what's on the other side. And to most people, it's a whole lot different than what they first imagined. And what God is doing is inviting us to come to His Word, and then enter into. That's the amazing thing that is, I believe, uh, about the Scriptures. It is not only a story. You actually have the opportunity to join the story. You become part of the story. So I want us to keep that in mind as we think about this this morning. But the first point that I want us to talk about is this a journey to the Bible. And I'm going to share with you just a little bit about my journey to the Bible. And I think it will... Res- the reason why I use this is not just because I want to tell my story... <laughs> I think it'll resonate with you. I think a lot of people have experienced something very similar to what I've experienced in my journey to the Bible and then into the Scriptures, into the Bible. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so as you read that, it's like that's the kind of language how a story begins. But I want to tell you this, that as a child growing up and living in a home where 
we went to church occasionally. And I don't recall ever a time when we gathered around the table and opened up the Bible and talked about it. So went to church occasionally and I started to learn bits and pieces. There's a God. He's the creator. He made me. And he made everything around and everything I see. But then, man sinned. And then there was redemption and restoration in heaven. So that was kind of the little bits and pieces that I picked up on. There's God, creation, sin, redemption, restoration, and heaven. Those little bits and pieces that I found that was supposed to be my guide in life and I was told to read the scriptures and yet that's all I knew about it. And as I took that little bit that I knew, I thought about myself. I thought about other people. Thought about the world around. Thought about heaven. Thought about hell. And then I started making decisions with a little bit of information. I was making decisions about life and about others and about God and about creation, about heaven, about hell with a little bit of information. But I had a little bit of information. So now I'm going to ask you a question that you probably be surprised that I'm going to ask you at this point, but I want you to think about this. With that little bit of information, just that little bit, do you think God was messing with me? Do you? I'm going to tell you what I think. And then I'm going to explain this as we go along. With just that little bit of information, I think God was messing with me. I didn't realize God was messing with me. But he was messing with me. Now let me tell you something about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Doctrinally speaking, much of the religious world, mainstream denominations, will teach creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. So they'll teach. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. A little bit of information. And then they want people to make determinations about God, about self, about life, about heaven, about hell with that little bit of information. And for a long time, that's kind of the way I traveled along. (laughs) And I was making a lot of decisions about life and about eternity based upon just that little bit of information and others talking about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And much of it, in my mind, was like this. Okay, there's God... You sin, that separates you from God. And so Jesus, 
makes it possible for you to be saved. And one thing for certain, you don't want to go to hell. So a lot of my motivation was, if I give consideration to God or going to church or any of those other things, the biggest motivation for me was, you don't want to go to hell. Life's over. That's not where you want to end up. A little bit of information. Making decisions. And then I'm thinking, well, I think I'm better than so-and-so. You ever do that? (laughs) So, I'll be all right. But there was a problem with that. Because when I finally came to the Bible and decided I ought to spend a little time reading this thing. You know, one of the things that I discovered early on was Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the Bible. And He spent a lot of time quoting the Bible. And the Bible that He was quoting was what we refer to as the Old Testament. That would have been His Bible. And I got to thinking to myself, If I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe I need to have a relationship with this. Because he seems to know it. (laughs) And he talks about it all the time. And he's asking people, have you read? And so I got to thinking, maybe I ought to read. (laughs) But I've been given a little bit of information about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I normally don't do visual illustrations. But this morning, I'm going to give you a visual illustration. Now, if you want to know about God, if you want to know about creation, if you want to know about the sin, about sin and the fall, read the Bible and people will say, how much of the Bible do I have to read to know all of that? So I'm going to show you. You want to know about God creation... The fall. That's it. That's it. That's chapters 1 through 3. You know that creation, fall, redemption, restoration? Creation, fall. The first half of all of that is right there. That's it. That's all you got to do. Read it. So now then, I want to know about that redemption part. About Jesus. And about Him coming. And so, what part do I need to read to know about Jesus and redemption? So, I'm going to show you what all you've got to read so that you'll know about Jesus and about redemption. Right there. See that? Right there. Now you want to know about that restoration part and heaven and all those good things? How much do I need to read? Right there. Redemption, restoration. Right there. Creation, fall. Right there. 
Do you see a little bit of problem? What about that part? That's the part Jesus was quoting from. That's what he was always talking about. And God gave all of it. And if God gave all of it, do you think I ought to read all of it? (laughs) So that I understand it? John 5 and verse 39. Jesus said, you search the Scriptures. What Scriptures? That part that I just showed you (laughs) that I hadn't spent much time reading and that the mainstream denominational world doesn't spend much time talking about. He said, you search the Scriptures. That's the Scriptures He's talking about. He's talking about that Old Testament. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. John 5 and verse 39. There is a million lights that shines from that Old Testament on Jesus Christ so that you can understand who He is and what He has done for you and what He has brought into this world and the blessings that comes with it. Also, as I started to read, I came across 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. How much of the Scriptures? All. All of it. If you want to understand it, read all of it. So as I came to the Scriptures, to the Bible, that was kind of my journey. I knew just a little bit. But when I really started to examine it, I thought, that part about creation fall, that's one page. Can you do any better than that, Larry? Could you read just a little bit more than that? Yeah. So do you want to know about Jesus? Well, here's four Gospels. Read that. You want to know about restoration and heaven? Read the rest of that. So let me ask you this question. How do you think we should honor this word that God has given to us. We should study all of it. On Wednesday nights, we're studying First Kings. That's that part that Jesus was always talking about. So it's kind of become our practice here at Plast City. We study the Old Testament on Wednesday evening. We study the New Testament. On Sunday mornings. I would like to invite you to come study it with us. It's all of God's word. You want to share the whole counsel of God? That's what we do. Let's understand the whole story. That's what we're trying to do. And it's of great benefit to us. So that was kind of my journey to the scriptures. But let me add this. What is the Bible? You ever just stop and think about that? What is the Bible? 
And different people have different perspectives on what the Bible is. So that's why I asked Mark this morning. Read Genesis 1 and verse 1, not all the way to Revelation 22 and verse 5, but just read Genesis 1 and verse 1 and Revelation 22 and verse 5, and it goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 22 and verse 5. And there is no, there is no night there, and there is no need for the sun, because the Lord God is there, and He gives them light. He is the lamp, and they shall rule forever and ever. What? In the beginning, and they shall rule forever and ever. Who? How'd that happen? That's the story in between those two passages. That's what we want to know. This is how it started, and this is how it's going to end. But I want to know who that is that's going to rule, that's going to reign forever and ever. But can you see this once again? The Bible is a story. Any kind of literature that begins in that fashion, it's telling you a story in the beginning. That introduces you to the story. And what we discover is, as we start to read, is that the end is like the beginning. Because in Genesis 1, by the time you get down to verse 26 and 28, 26 through 28, it's talking about God creating man and woman. He's already created the world. He's already created light. He's already separated the heavens from the earth. He's already separated the waters. He's already created all the sea animals and the land animals and the bugs and the spiders, which I don't understand, (laughs) and the people. And then it says in verse 28, God saw that all that he had created, and it was very good. But then watch. And he blessed them. He's talking about man and woman. And he told them to multiply and to fill the earth and to reign over it and subdue it. Oh. Man and woman were to reign over God's creation. That's the beginning. In the end, and they shall reign forever and ever. So what happened in between? That's where that sin comes in. But you want to know the plot of the story? Man and woman were to reign over God's creation. But there was conflict. There was tension. There was resolution. There was restoration. And they shall reign forever and ever. Can you see the story? Sometimes people come to the Bible and they say, 
I think the Bible is just kind of a moral handbook, kind of a rule book kind of thing. You know, when I was a little kid growing up, we used to play baseball. And sometimes, you know, I played organized baseball, but there was other times we'd just get together and we'd form and we a, a couple of teams and, and we'd play. And sometimes we'd change the rules. Sometimes, you know, it's like three strikes you're out. Sometimes it's four foul balls. If you got some kid that's always hitting foul balls, it's kind of like, oh, four, you're out of here. <laughs> but when you come to organized baseball, it's like, get the rule book. <laughs> How many strikes do you get? How many foul balls do you get? You know, And it's like, what? let's look up that page. And sometimes people come to the Bible, and they, that's what they want to do with the Bible. Just tell me the rule for this. I don't want to read the story. I just want to know the rule for this. But that's not what this is. Does the Bible touch on rules? Yeah, it does. Does it touch on morals? Yes, it does. Does the Bible shape character? Yes, it does. But how does it do it? Primarily and foremost through a story. Did Edwin this morning tell you about a story by about a man by the name of Barabbas? Yeah, he did. And he told you that's recorded in every one of the Gospels. Why is that there? Because we're like Barabbas. And Jesus took our place. Put yourself in the story. You come to it. Step through the looking glass. Step into the story. Epic stories. You ever heard of a guy by the name of J.R. Tolkien? Yeah. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all that kind of stuff. That's an epic story. It's got lots of characters and kingdoms. And it's got villains and good guys and tension and all those kind of things. Well, it's like the Bible. It's an epic story. But you know what stories do? Stories stir your imagination. They touch your thoughts. They fire your emotions. And they will influence your will. The Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And it has wisdom for your life and for this world. And God wants to unleash the power of that story into your life and into this world. So he tells us this story. So keeping that in mind, but I want to mention this also. For those who kind of like to analyze and dissect and so forth, I don't go quite this far. I just read the guys who do go that far. And what they will tell you is if you take this and you break it up into different categories, 
different components. 43% of this is narrative. It's a story. 33% of it is poetry. Now, those of you who are math majors, what percentage does that leave that is dialogue? 24%. Less than a fourth of this is actual dialogue and discourse. Dialogue is what you and I are doing right now. Dialogue is what Moses does, does at the close of the book of Deuteronomy when he delivers the speech to the nation of Israel. The New Testament letters, what Paul writes to churches, that's like dialogue. 24%. 76% is story and poetry. What's that tell you? What's the primary way that God chooses to communicate to us and His will? Through story and poetry. You know what poetry is? Poetry is combinations of words mixed together in dense form that does more than just convey information. It touches your emotions. That's why Hallmark is in business. That's why guys go to the store on Valentine's Day and buy those cards, right? It's poetry. 33%. Poetry. And it touches the emotions. And stories touch the intellect and the emotions. And it will influence your will in making decisions about what you're going to do with your life. So let me ask you. It worked out good this morning, Edwin. Thank you for reading that at the Lord's table. When you read those stories about Jesus, one who was innocent, one who went about doing good, and you read about how they treated him, and how he was arrested and held for trial. And they brought false witnesses. And in the course of all of that, they abused him and they beat him. And they scourged him. And they spat upon him. Have you ever? <laughs> I don't think there's anybody here that would even do such a thing. Have you ever spit on somebody? Have you ever been spat upon? How disgusting that is. And that's not just information. Does that touch your emotions? It's like, how can you do that? <laughs> and then to crucify Him. Does that touch your mind? Does that touch your emotions? Does that touch your will? I don't want to be like those guys. So if you put yourself in the story, who do you want to be like? So did Jesus ever tell stories? Do you remember the story about the prodigal son? Here is a son that says to his father, Give me my inheritance. 
And his father does it. And in essence, what is he saying? You haven't died yet. I kind of wish you would hurry up. But since you're not dead, would you just go ahead and give me my money now? And the father cooperates, gives it to him, and he sets off and he goes and he just wastes it all. And you're thinking to yourself, that's information, but at the same time, does it stir you at all? It's like, how stupid is that? (laughs) You ingrate and your father until finally he's living among pigs and he decides I'm going to get up and go home. And when he gets up and goes home, what does the father do? Come out and say, I told you so. No, he runs and he falls on his neck and he kisses him. And he says, bring the robe and the ring. And put sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf. My son was dead and now he's alive. Does that touch your emotions? Yeah. Who do you want to be like? And then Jesus goes to the home of this Pharisee And the Pharisees, we've talked about them even in class this morning. You know, they were the religious leaders. They were the self-righteous ones. And oftentimes looking down their nose at other people. Do you know any self-righteous religious people? (laughs) And you think, I don't want to be like that. And so Jesus is invited to go to the home of Simon, a Pharisee. And there is this woman that comes and she's a sinner. And she brings this oil. And she breaks it and she anoints his head. And she's weeping. She wipes his feet. And Simon is sitting over there and he's thinking to himself, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. Well, Jesus didn't need Simon to tell him what he was thinking. Jesus knew what he was thinking. So what does Jesus do? Simon I've got something to say to you. Simon says, sure, go ahead. And Jesus tells him a story. (laughs) There was a creditor. And there were two debtors. And one owed him a large amount and the other owed just a small amount. But neither one were able to repay. So the creditor forgave them both. Simon, which one do you think will love him the most? (laughs) You know what Jesus just did to Simon? He brought him to it. Now, Simon, I want you to step into it. Simon, which one will love him the most? And what's Simon say? The one who was forgave the most. And Jesus said, you answered correctly. See what stories do. They invite you in. And they ask you to make judgments and decisions. And you put yourself in the story. Isn't that what Jesus was trying to do? Now let me ask you this question once again that I ask about myself at the beginning. Was Jesus messing with him? Oh yeah. Not in a negative sense. Not being disrespectful because Jesus wants Simon to be saved too. 
But he's messing with it. Simon, you want me to tell you that you're a self-righteous hypocrite? I'll let you do that, Simon. <laughs> let me tell you this story. And so that's what God does. Let me tell you this story. Come to it. Put yourself in. And you decide. So I ask you. I ask myself. And as I think back now, I knew a little bit. That was God messing with me? Yeah. Because I knew enough to know about God. I knew enough to know about sin. I knew enough to know about Jesus. But I just never put myself in the story. So I'll ask you. Is Jesus messing with you? I think so. Because we know the story. And then he invites you to step in. Put yourself in the story. So the Bible from beginning to end is an epic story about Jesus. If you get that outline back there, these passages are on there. We just don't have time to read them all. Genesis 3 and verse 15 Genesis 3 and verse 15, that's that first page that I just showed you. But that time, there's already God, there's already creation, there's already sin. Satan is coming to the garden, and he has convinced Adam and Eve, Eve first, then Adam, to eat of the tree that God told them, do not touch, do not eat of it. But they do. And so then in Genesis 3 and verse 15... What it says, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity, struggle, strife between your seed, those who follow after you, Satan, and between her seed. And her seed is going to bruise you on the head, going to crush your head, going to take your power from you. But in the promise, or in the process, you will bruise his heel. They didn't understand it at the time. But what God is saying is because sin is now apart, He's going to do something about it. And that's the first promise that His Son will be coming, even though just reading that, they didn't understand it. We don't understand it when we first just read that. But then in Genesis, the 12th chapter, in about verses 1 through 3, God calls a man by the name of Abraham. Abram. And he promises him, get out from your land and from your people to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And through them, I will bless all the nations of the earth. God was launching his rescue mission. And it starts right there. Let me say something about sin, though. I wish we had time to talk about all this, but we'd have to go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 20. And we got that clock back there, so i got to say it. So let me say something about sin. That first page 
God tells them, that tree of knowledge of good good and evil, don't touch it, don't eat from it. But Satan comes along, and he speaks to Eve, and he asks, is there any tree that you may not eat of? He doesn't say, look at all the blessings God has given you in this wonderful world, in this garden you live in, and you have a mate, and it's, it's wonderful. No, he says, is there any tree that you may not eat of? And she said, well, there's this one. It's in the midst of the garden. And we're not to eat of it or touch it or we'll die. And Satan says, no, you won't. You won't die. So he lies to her. And so then when she looked at it and saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the taste, and it will make you wise. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is practical application of knowledge. See, if you eat of this tree, you will be able to determine what's good, what's bad, all on your own. You won't need God because now you will be wise. That's what that tree's all about. Will you make choices by following after God and what He says? Or will you seize the power and just make decisions all on your own? So let's stop and think about that. Matthew, the 19th chapter, there is a young ruler that comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, and that is God. So what's Jesus saying? (laughs) You just call me good. Do you understand that I'm God? Is that what you're saying? But the point that I want to make is this. Jesus said there is only one who is good, and that is God. And from the very beginning, a good God created what kind of world? Seven times in the first page. Everything he made was good. (laughs) And then when we get to verses 26 through 28, it was very good. A good God created a good world, and man and woman were made in whose image? God's image. So what does that make man and woman? Good. It makes you good. So then he says in the following verses, I want you to subdue the earth and to rule over it. And when you make decisions about subduing and ruling over, you know what kind of decisions you have to make? What's good? (laughs) What would be a good choice? What would be a good thing to do in ruling over this? And as you read that first page, who would you look to to help you determine what is good? Satan? Or God? A good God created a good world, and you're made in His image, who do you think you ought to look to for advice on how to rule and subdue the earth that He has made for you and allows you to live upon? What do they do? Made a bad choice. 
Oh, I'll just do it for myself. How'd that turn out? That part of the story that Jesus was always talking about, that's how it turned out. That's that tragic story. God creates a good world, a good God, good world. Man and woman made in His image. So I want you to ask you this question as we talk about sin also. Did God make a perfect world? Is that what it says? Did God make man and woman perfect? Is that what it says? What it says was, He made a good world. And He made man and woman in His image. They are good. Do you know what that means? That means that it is full of potential. Now let me give you a quick illustration about bringing about potential. I've used him before for an illustration. He hasn't kicked back so far, so I'm going to use him again, and I'll keep doing it until he finally says, Stop that. (laughs) There's Kenny. (laughs) And he showed me pictures of his garden. Do you know how you rule and subdue the soil and rule over it? You take those seeds, those plants, you put them in the ground, and it rains and there's sunshine and all these kind of things. You keep the weeds out of it, and pretty soon you got more tomatoes than you can eat. Did he just rule and just subdue? Yeah, he did. And not only can he produce for himself, but he can produce for others. And so God made a good world that is full of potential. And do you know that garden when Adam and Eve lived there? They didn't have any kids yet. So how big was that garden? I don't know. Was it a two-bedroom apartment? (laughs) I don't know how big it was. But do you know it's as they had kids? That garden was going to have to get bigger, wasn't it? And it was going to have to produce more, more food, wasn't it? And was it capable? Yes. And so God said, you rule over it. You subdue it. It's full of potential. Is this world, Kenny, is this world full of potential? Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Are you? Am I? Full of potential? You want to know what kind of potential we have? We have potential for tremendous, tremendous evil. And we have potential for tremendous good. But in order to have good and to fulfill that potential, you know what kind of choices you have to make? Good ones. And so the question is, Who are you going to look to to help you make those good choices? 
sin. The Hebrew word is used for the very first time in the fourth chapter. And the Hebrew word means to miss the mark, to fall short, to fail. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means by making bad choices, you don't live up to the potential. Can you see that? And by following God, you can fulfill your potential. And this world can fulfill its potential. Do you know there are starving people in this world? And do you think it's because the world is not capable of providing enough food? Not a chance. You know why some people are starving? Because other people are keeping them from eating. The potential's there. And for the potential for us to make sure that everybody eats, it's based on choices that we make. And down through the ages, men have done horrible things to one another. Sin is that missing the mark, yeah. It's violation of God's law. But it's missing the potential. And that was the rule that he established in the beginning. And then sin entered in. And we didn't live up to our potential. And Jesus came and he wants to restore. To redeem and restore. Can we see that? That's the story. Proverbs 14 and verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. A lot of people in the world try to make decisions without, without God. The story in the Old Testament, that part that I showed you, that's the story of Israel, and it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So let me tell you about one other story very quickly. You ever heard of a man by the name, this is fictitious, but have you ever heard of a man by the name of Don Corleone? (laughs) He built an empire. He passed it on to his son, Michael. And he became the godfather. Remember that? There was that whole trilogy. uh, Trilogy. Do you know what kind of stories those are? In literary circles, they're known as tragedies. And why do we write tragedies? Why do we read tragedies? Because tragedies gives us a lot of insight into ourselves and to others and to shortcomings. And if you watch that entire series, there's kind of this rise to power And then how is that power maintained? Through force and violence and murder. Take a look at the world today. How are men trying to maintain power? Through violence and through force and through murder. 
But how does the Godfather end? How does that tragedy end? Ultimately, he destroys himself and everybody around him. Does that sound familiar? And so Jesus comes. And he wants to redeem. And he wants to restore. And we have a choice once again. Will we follow him, follow God? Or will we take from the tree and say, I've got the wisdom and I'll make decisions for myself? And how does that turn out? Tragedies help us to learn. The Bible is an epic story about Jesus. And Jesus told stories. And he invited people into those stories. And he asked them to make decisions and judgments about those stories and the characters in those stories. And by doing so, Jesus fired people's thoughts. He fired their emotions. And he challenged their will. What decision will you make? It's your will. You can determine which way you want to go. So come to God's Word. Look in the mirror. And then step. Step inside. You know why? Because God's messing with you. Just like he was messing with me a long time. God's messing with you. Think about it. How do you feel about it? What are you going to do? A journey to the Bible and then into the Bible. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But we have a choice whether or not we will choose to follow after him. If we can help you in any way this morning making your relationship right with the Lord, that's what we want to do. And you're invited to come while together we stand and while we sing.